0: Hi, everybody. It's Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. It is May the 29th, 2011. This introductory podcast goes out to Adam Kokesh, who was recently arrested for dancing, and might I add, quite well for a Marine, an ex-Marine, at the uh, Jefferson Memorial. Uh, The ironies are too obvious to mention, and um, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about what I think of this incident Uh, he was dancing Uh, there were a few other people dancing there was one couple who was uh, slow dancing and uh, doing all kinds of nice things and uh, what happened well uh, they were body slammed thrown to the ground Uh, we got knees on the back uh, and uh, in one truly bizarre incident the policeman seems to be quite concerned with a pair of sunglasses That he doesn't want to have broken. Spirits of the citizens, on the other hand, are prime for mashing as much as people see fit. Now, there has been some commentary going back and forth. And of course, there are people who are coming out that this is police brutality. And there are people who are coming out that this is a profanation. It is profaning the sacred monument to Jefferson. Now, philosophy, philosophy, true philosophy, is the sworn enemy of the sacred. Let me tell you what people mean when they say the word sacred. What people mean when they say the word sacred is I have an irrational attachment to bullshit and I will punch you in the face if you question it. That is the brutality that lies under the mental superstructure called the sacred. The only thing that is sacred is human life and liberty and peace. The initiation of force is not sacred. Rock is not sacred, whether it is in the shape of Jefferson or a turd. It doesn't matter. It is simply rocks. It is atoms and space. It is not sacred. Human thought, human freedom, human reason, human passion, that is sacred. But people invent the word sacred. Sacred is the word that loosens the safety on the revolver. Safety is the sound of the fist coming back to punch anybody in the face who dares bring reason and evidence To the sickness called the sacred. And. What happens when you profane the sacred. When you bring reason to the sacred. Is you get attacked. Sacred is a series of landmines. That is set up around sentimental bullshit. So that people can attack you. And it is all over the place in society. It's the flags. It's the gods. It's. The family, it's whatever is invented that you must venerate and must worship despite reason and evidence. Yeah, there are families out there that are absolutely worth passionately devoting yourself to and loving and living for. I wouldn't say so much with countries and certainly (laughs) not with gods. But the act of dancing to headphone music, swaying a little bit. This is where we have come to as a society that... These knuckle-dragging thugs will bring down a good man for the sake of a little swaying in front of a statue. But this is how bizarre and insane society has become. Now, it's not the worst society that's ever been, and there's lots that I admire about the American system and the Canadian system and a lot of the Western system, and it's better living here than Marrakesh, but... It's not so much important where we are as it is important where we are going. And I feel some outrage. I don't feel a lot of shock. You know, dancing and authority <laughs> have never particularly gone a hand in hand. You don't see a lot of free-form jazz body movement fluidity exercises in police training. You see it in theater school where you're actually supposed to be creative and I've done this kind of fruity stuff and it's it's actually a heck of a lot of fun. I'd really recommend movement and body classes, gymnastic classes, sword fighting classes, all of the things that I've partaken in. The freedom of the body, the flexibility of the body, the spontaneous expression of joy and passion and in the moment-ness that dancing represents is something that authority cannot abide. Cannot abide. And some people have said that the police should be sued, that the police should be punished. I, I I'm not of that mind. It's just using another state, pa- state apparatus. My argument would be that uh, everybody who was involved in the arrest of these dancing people should be forced to take free-form, gayer than hell body expression classes where they get to be trees jogging and uh, cats about to fall out of a tree and hopefully that will get them a little bit more in touch with their physicality Um, it might help a few of them lose a few pounds which certainly seem to be uh, in the cards uh, in terms of health but I think yeah let's let's punish them with some really 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 flaky ass dance classes I think that would be the best thing to do and the best thing for them because then they might realize that there's a little bit more to life than showing up uh, sweaty and dough-faced and pudgy and uh, bringing down uh, people. And Adam, of course, uh, was, uh, is an ex-soldier and uh, is the host of Adam vs. the Man, which you can catch on RT.com. Uh, it was a great show. I strongly recommend that you watch it. Even when I'm not on it, I hear. Actually, I know. It's very, very good. And, and all kudos to him for doing what he's doing. But you see, here's an example of a man who fought for the freedom of America and comes home and was arrested. It sort of reminds me of the fellow who... Well, fought in Iraq, survived several terms in Iraq or Afghanistan, came home and was killed by a SWAT team in a mistaken drug raid. Well, this is the reality of the world that we live in. So, if you are outraged by this, I would suggest don't be, because this is the inevitable extension of state power. And fighting the free and spontaneous expression of phys- creative physicality is natural. To the powers that be uh, It's one of the reasons why You know the long hair and hippiness Of people in Haight-Ashbury in the 1960s Was so frowned upon Horrified and attacked by people Who had short haircuts, square soles And regimented empty heads So it's natural uh, It's tragic But the best thing that you can do if, In my opinion Is to swell the ratings For Adam's show That is the way to turn evil into good to turn temptation to turn vice to turn oppression into liberty get behind adam versus the man dot com. go and watch his show go and subscribe to his newsletter go and uh, onto his website and uh, site and join the i-course write to russian television and tell him how much you admire what he is doing use this harassment this initiation of force for the simple act of fairly getting down marine boogie and go to his show and support his show and encourage his show and praise his show and spread his show that's how you fight this kind of oppression that's how you turn this shattering of the light into a sunrise of possibility that is my strong urging and for the people who've written (laughs) on my thread i posted all this on facebook and i don't mean to laugh because it's not funny but the people who posted and said that Je- the Jefferson Monument is sacred. My God. Well, I mean, all you're doing is talking about your dad. I mean, you know, it's, it's a piece of rock. It's a statue. It's nothing. It's nothing. The ideals themselves, perhaps, of liberty and freedom from tyranny are sacred. The rock is not. The flag is not. The ideals are because the ideals are a product of human thought rather than a blind aggregation of nature chiseled by people usually paid by the state. So the ideals of freedom are sacred. The rock itself is not sacred. The ideals of a small or no government is sacred. The flag is a piece of cloth and not sacred. And it's a little bit hard, however much I might admire certain aspects of Thomas Jefferson's thinking, and he was a fairly good architect. It's a little hard to believe that a man who pretty much raped his slaves continually is someone that we should hold in incredibly high veneration as a moral paragon in virtue of the species. I'm just saying, this seems to be pretty well established by DNA testing that uh, he was a slave banger. And that's kind of a shadow on <laughs> however Sunlit you may think of the rest of his soul. It's a little bit of a shadow uh, on uh, on the soul. Uh, if we're a little horrified by what uh, Arnold the Sperminator has done with his housekeepers, uh, at least she was somewhat there voluntarily, Uh, This is not the case with the Jefferson slaves. So it's a little hard, I think, to say that the only problem in the Jefferson monument is um, some free-form, slightly swaying uh, booginess. Um, There are other crimes hanging over the statue that would perhaps be a little bit more important to keep in perspective. So I'm absolutely, completely and totally happily to hear what you all have to think about this or any other topic. But Adam... Hopefully we can talk uh, this week. Um, I have huge sympathies. I'm so sorry that you had to go through this. I think that you've got some great moves, which I will be copying and doubtless calling my own, uh, which nobody will believe. But, uh, you know, stay strong, stay in touch. And uh, <laughs> you got, uh, you know, it's <laughs> you got some balls, man. You got some stones. And uh, I admire, I admire that. And your restraint and professionalism in this encounter with these thugs was enormously impressive. And uh, I look forward to hearing the tales from the crypts of the weekend. So stay strong, my friend, and I will talk to you soon. Well, I suppose just as we're starting out, the listener has asked, asked, not asked, but asked, uh, will, I, will you ever see an anarchic society in your lifetime? If not, will I? I'm 16. Uh, I will not see an anarchic society by the terms that you're talking about. Uh, I, I have a voluntary society in my life. I, I don't have um, obligated relationships in my life. And that's a very important thing. Uh, When I talk about nothing sacred, which actually is the name of a George Walker adaptation of a book that I also adapted called Fathers and Sons by Ivan Turgenev, which is uh, well worth checking out if you ever get a chance to see or read it. But uh, when I talk about nothing sacred, I mean that in my life. I don't have unchosen relationships in my life. I don't have relationships based on historical accidents Uh, and uh, uh, coincidence in biology. I have uh, relationships based on virtue and integrity and uh, (laughs) a striving for the betterment. So I have a voluntary society in my life. uh, I will not see a stateless society in the way that I'm talking about, right? I mean, some people say, well, Somalia, but of course, saying that Somalia is a stateless society is like saying that a country became atheist because the churches uh, collapsed (laughs) or were on fire. There's not not the same. So, uh, no, I'm not going to live to see it, but that's okay. Um, You know, the status uh, hierarchy is as embedded as um, hands in the human DNA, so it's going to take a while to unravel. And since it is a multi-generational change, it is going to take more time than I have, you know, (laughs) absent extendo bot life-spanning technologies from some sort of future genius. Uh, so no I'm not going to see it if you're 16 uh, I don't think that you're going to see it either Uh, just judging by history it takes 100 to 150 years to create any kind of lasting social change and even that tends to be pretty slow and staggered and of course there's a counteraction to everything that occurs right so women gain some freedom and then the government pays feminist groups to tell them to go out and work so they can be taxed and they lose that freedom to stay home with their kids Uh, blacks strive for freedom from enslavement And then uh, there's a war on drugs, which is to a large degree a war on blacks. There's a welfare state. There's a collapse of the black family, which survived slavery, but not the welfare state. And they have a pretty grim time of it. So I think that it is a very hard thing to imagine that in the next 100 to 150 years, we will see a truly stateless society. So that is – that's my argument. Uh, And I say that not to bring, bring you despair, but to avoid you a life of continual despair by recognizing how far away it is. Would any anarchic society, somebody asked, be defined by geography? Well, sure, yeah. I mean, there's no switch that's going to make the whole world uh, stateless, and so it's going to occur in geographical regions first. I think that's, that's pretty clear. In the same way, it's sort of ending slavery, it occurred in geographical areas and so on. So I think that's how that's going to, that's going to work. Do I see DROs as a modern version of tribalism or something much more complicated and different? Are there any parallels? I do not see – it's a great question, as all of these are. I do not see DROs as having anything to do with tribalism at all in any way, shape, or form. Uh, DROs uh, are like insurance companies. DROs are sophisticated entities where the best brains – the best entrepreneurial brains on the planet combined with psychologists and psychiatrists and doctors and all the people who are going to be studying – how conflict arises from a sort of medical model, from a, a brain model, they are, are going to be getting together with actuarial mathematicians and uh, and, uh, and philosophers as well, of course, because there are certain philosophical ideals that lead to greater and greater peace in society and there are those which don't. So these are all things that need to be tested in the laboratories of science and in the laboratories of the free market, and they are going to be organizations that are going to attempt to encourage as much virtuous behavior as possible by reducing the price of transactions for people who keep their word uh, and uh, honor their contracts and uh, finding ways to uh, I- encourage those who don't and punish those who really, really don't. Uh, and so there's going to, they're very, very sophisticated entities. It's not tribal at all because tribal is around accidental geography, or accidental bloodline, DROs, you're not going to be born into a DRO. Uh, You're not going to be, well, everyone on the south side is part of this DRO because that would just be another government. Uh, DROs are the ultimate involuntary organizations. You can choose the one that fits you best. You can choose the level of risk that you want within each DRO, just as you can choose the level of risk that you want in any insurance package that you take. And, of course, the entire purpose of DROs will be to make themselves and make themselves as obsolete as quickly as possible, at least within the lifetime of one human being, right? So if I have been an honorable and decent man who's kept his word and his contracts and paid his bills and debts for 20 or 30 years, I didn't do all of that to screw the next guy, right? I mean, reputations take a lifetime to build and sometimes only a moment to destroy. And so they will eventually be free, Right? And this is the same thing that occurs with life insurance. If you start life insurance young enough, they invest the money uh, and it becomes free. And so the idea, of course, of DROs is to make their charges obsolete as quickly as possible to lower the price for consumers while providing the best service. So, no, I don't view them at all as close. They're the ultimate voluntary organization. You can come and go at any time. You can choose the level of coverage you want. It's professional. It's neither geographical nor racial nor uh, biological in terms of family lines in any other way. Uh, so I wouldn't view it at all as similar to uh, to tribalism. Uh, listen, uh, I'm I'm certainly happy to answer questions, but if you do have uh, things that you want to say, I uh, I'm more keen to do the sort of live talk than answer questions. I'm certainly happy. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, okay. So uh, uh, the Amazon account. Yes, I'm still going to set up this link, but um, I have all my books on Kindle for ninety nine cents and I would really, really like it if people would go and buy those. Um, So it makes me a few bucks and uh, all of that sort of stuff. So what else do we have? Oh, yeah, and if somebody has the link from the board, if you could post it in the chat room, that would be fantastic. And hello to all the people who've come out today. I really do appreciate that. Now, somebody's asked, will uh, DROs be on the UN or on the Security Council? Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Um... I don't think that they would be recognized by other states, so uh, that would be um, uh, that would be one of my, uh, my sort of suggestions. But I don't th- – see, DROs, they can't really enter into contracts on behalf of others. Uh, like your insurance company can't sign you up for an alarm system on your behalf. And so I don't think the DROs will be allowed to enter into contracts. I mean, obviously, people could give them that right if it was efficient, but I don't think that would be the case. And so – how would a DRO be able to negotiate for its customers on behalf of someone else? So I doubt it. I doubt it, but we shall see. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I guess I'll change that. Go to fdrurl.com forward slash Kindle, K-I-N-D-L-E, and that will be the one which I'll set up to go to, to the books.
1: Uh-huh.
0: All right, so... Yeah, you can still go to um fdrurl. sorry, uh, freedomainradio.com if you want to get some of my uh, some of my other books. So, question, how big will the how will the big privatization of the corpse of the state go? Well, I think that the privatization of the state is uh, I mean to some degree it's already underway, right? So, stuff is going to be sold off by the government to sort of settle its bills now that's actually going to be kind of a negative for a while because people are then going to end up paying twice right so when the government say sells off a bunch of parks then it's not going to lower its taxes because it no longer has to administer those parks it's going to sell those parks because it needs money for its other kinds of general operations but What's going to happen is the companies that bid for those parks are going to be those who think that they can achieve a profit. So they're going to um, – uh, I would imagine there may be some increase, maybe temporary or permanently, I don't know, some increase in uh, the, the entrance fees for those parks. So as stuff gets privatized from the government, people's costs are, are going to go up. In the long run, who knows, right? But that's my, uh, uh, that's my feel about it. So it's going to be kind of tricky. So I'm just looking for another question. I'm not sure what you mean by pragmatic anarchism. I don't know much about seasteading at the moment, so I couldn't really answer that, I'm afraid. How can you stop friend politics in this privatization? So I assume what you mean by that is that stuff is going to be handed out as political favors to people close to politicians. You can't stop it. You can't. You can't conceivably stop it, and I wouldn't even bother thinking about how to try stopping it. You can't. That's the whole point. You can't control a monopoly of violence. You can't control a minority of people with a monopoly on violence. You can't control them. You cannot, cannot control them. So, yeah, of course, it's going to be corrupt as hell. Let me just look at what happened in Russia or East Germany or other places where privatization has occurred. Yeah, it goes to friends. It goes to, you know, the local uh, uh, toadies. And, uh, yeah, you you can't – if you could control it, there would be much less reason to need to privatize, so – Hi, Steph. I have no microphone, so I can't speak to you directly, but I have a question. My boss is an abusive, evil genius. One of her tactics is to plant fear and doubt on her subordinates. What's your broad perspective in dealing with people like this? When you have to. Well, it's the last four words that I would question, when you have to. I assume that you are not uh, a serf and have some capacity to change your work environment. Um, you can't you can't reason with crazy people. You you can't you can't negotiate with crazy people. Uh, it's like trying to sculpt fog uh, or trying to build a tower out of water. Any gain that you have is merely momentary, and anybody who's in that environment and who stays in that environment. I mean, you can of course i don 't know you could get together with your coworkers and try to get the uh, the boss canned or something like that by raising stuff, uh, but unfortunately, most of the people who are st- who stay in that kind of situation end up um, uh, well they 're there for various historical family reasons and so on, so there 's lots of problems with that, but they tend not to be the most reliable people if they 're still in that environment so um, and, and what I would do, first and foremost, is look at my own family history and say, okay, well, is there anything in my family history that would lead me to feel that this is sort of an okay situation or this is sort of a manageable situation? Because if you're stuck with an evil genius boss, my guess is that there may have been some sort of evil genius, uh, maybe a woman in your history, maybe your mom or someone else. And that's perhaps why you feel that you can't, uh, you can't sort of get – Uh, you can't sort of escape or deal with the situation so self-knowledge to me is the escape from all corrupt situations so that would be my my first thought Uh, a recent article by Tom Woods why anarchists should vote for Ron Paul argues with Rothbard that voting is not immoral what are your thoughts? well I have not read the article Uh, so I can't uh, I can't I I did see it posted somewhere on my Facebook account but I haven't had a chance to read it yet But uh, certainly voting is not evil, right? Voting is just a checkbox. Uh, I don't think it's, you know, it's not quite the same as the initiation of force. Um, But the only argument for voting that I can imagine would be valid is the argument that it can achieve some good. And I (laughs) completely and totally disagree with that. Uh, And my argument – I've got a whole series on Ron Paul that I did, uh, gosh, close to three or four years ago now – that if we believe that we have the power to turn an evil organization into a good organization, then we should forget about the government and we should join the mafia. Or we should join the local um, postal workers' union and attempt to get the postal workers' union to lower the wages and benefits of the postal workers' And we should start off small. We should start off small with our turning the tables on evil institutions. And we should start with something that's local. Or maybe you've got some nasty person in your life who's really difficult and unpleasant. Well, you should attempt to reform that person and turn them into a nice person. Uh, Or somebody who maybe is addicted to to alcohol or drugs or something else. uh, Then uh, you should maybe get them to quit their addiction. So instead of dealing with a large, well, the largest conceivable evil agency armed to the teeth with nuclear weapons and prisons and aircraft carriers and so on, if you have the power through your influence to turn an evil institution into a good institution, just start local. You know, start local. Start with something that's testable in your local environment and see how that works. And if you can do that, then start a little bigger, go a little bigger. And I think that's uh, that's the way to go. Yeah, and if you're coerced to vote, then go. It's got no moral content if you're coerced, right? Any more than it's a charity if you give your watch to a guy with a gun in your ribs. My my question also, I mean, if somebody agrees with Rothbard about the morality of voting uh, or the, the effectiveness of voting, then my argument would be, or my question would be, have you done an analysis on why, if this has been tried since at least the 1960s, it has so seriously not worked? Well... Uh, that's, of course, the big question. I have no problem with people who want to make an argument against history, right, to say that um, this this thing's been tried for 40 or 50 years. And, of course, voting in terms of keeping the government down has been tried by conservatives and classical liberals for over 150 years. Well, the government has grown bigger and bigger and bigger, and my question is, well, what's your, what's your analysis of why it's failed? And if you have no analysis of why it's failed, then I assume you're just doing some magical ritual to keep your anxiety at bay rather than dealing with the true source of a stateless society, which is the beneficial and positive rearing, uh, peaceful rearing of children. Uh, you're just, you know, you're using, you're waving your ballot box around like some magical spell to calm your anxiety and keep you away from the challenges within your own personal relationships, which I can understand. I mean, there's, those challenges are really tough, <laughs> but it doesn't have anything to do with actually achieving a free world until people can say, if you should do this thing that didn't work for the last 150 years, then here's why it didn't work and here's what we should change. But if you're just saying, well, let's just keep voting the way we have for the last 150 years, then I just assume you're not really interested in achieving freedom. I mean, because if you're not doing a post-mortem, you're not really interested in, in what killed the person, right? So, um, yeah, that doesn't make much sense to me. And again, that's no, neither uh, – to my knowledge, neither Tom Woods nor Murray Rothbard were entrepreneurs and – I'm not saying all entrepreneurs are rational and all entrepreneurs are libertarians or anarchists, but if you're an entrepreneur, the first thing that you always have to do with failure is to go to the root cause and figure out why, and not just keep doing the same thing over and over. So, by the way, you know, just while this fine lady's doing that, you know, uh, again, thanks to everyone for all your support. I was on TV for th- I was on TV three times this week. Uh, I was twice on Adam's show, Adam Kokesh, and once I got a great half hour. And thanks so much to to. Um, to Max Kaiser and Stacy for having me on the show, um, the, the Kaiser Report, K E I S E R, report, the kaiserreport.com. Uh, he was very kind and very curious and very smart. To We had uh, almost the whole show, so 23 minutes of time, half hour, I think, in total, uh, to talk about uh, a free society. And gosh, I mean, I, I, I really admire that. I, I really like Max. I think his passion is very inspiring. And um, I really enjoy being on his show. So thanks so much to, to those guys for, for that opportunity.
2: Is better? Ah,
0: uh, yes, that's better. Uh, yes, that's better. Yeah. But now we have that's an right. echo. Now we have
2: an echo. Okay. Let me sort that out. Better now?
0: Uh, let me see. still got an echo.
2: Just to move the, the speakers. So uh, before before the show started, there was a discussion related to Adam Kokesh. And what some people were thinking was that it was it was forced. The the you know it was like um, like it wasn't it wasn't. Some people were arguing it wasn't showing exactly the, the the what police would do because they were doing it to to get the reaction. Um, when I saw the video, I thought it looked it looked quite uh, quite cool. I mean, what they've done but maybe you want to comment for the for the guys who who are thinking the other thing that
0: it's that it's forced that uh, they went in there attempting to disturb the shit with the cops and get that kind of reaction is that right
2: yeah that's what some people don't like and and they believe it's not the way to, to show
0: i'm um, yeah i mean i don't know what it means if it, let's say it was forced, let's say they went in there with the express intention of getting arrested. I'm not sure what that says against what they're doing.
2: Just uh, some people wonder like, uh, does this mean we should all go around and, uh, you know, make ourselves arrested? That, that Those were the comments I'm just uh, repeating.
0: Yeah, look, I, um, I don't think that, I mean, the, the whole point of a free society, the whole point of, uh, I think, philosophy of voluntarism is to, to take the word should out of the equation, in you know, at least in unchosen contracts or unchosen situations, if people want to go and get arrested, I think that that may show some people the aggression of the state. Maybe that will be helpful. I mean, Adam's video got got almost a hundred thousand hits uh, in in a day. So is that all people who are just saying you know, damn the cops and blah blah blah, or is it people who are seeing oh wow, you know this? This uh, ex-Marine is being arrested by the cops uh, for dancing. That's pretty shocking. Does that wake some people up? Yeah, I think it probably does. Does that mean everyone should go out and be arrested? Well, no, the whole point of a free society is that you don't have a should, right? I mean, I think that people should live with the integrity that they can manage. They can. They should live with the idea of having a happy and productive life and inspiring people through, uh, through joy and certainty and purpose. So no, I don't think that means everybody should go out and get arrested um, look for instance I think Adam's show is a pretty good vehicle for getting ideas out does that mean everybody has to go and get a television show well no of course not everybody can do if they want whatever they can to the degree that they can in with the skill sets that they have and the joy and the pleasure that they have so no I don't think it means that everybody has to go get arrested I think that is to then say we should all get in line and do the same thing which seems to me quite the opposite of the division of labor within the movement
2: Cool. Um- Can I ask another thing? Of course. Uh, Related to my friend that I met today. And um, I was not aware, but he uh, stopped uh, communicating with his parents for uh, three or four months now. And um, he's quite devastated.
0: Hello? And
2: uh, they are. So you said he's
0: quite. Sorry, you said he's quite devastated?
2: exactly that that's that's the point I want to get to he uh, so he they are Muslim and he was raised Muslim but at some point you know he he became an atheist and or he was always atheist and then he realized and um, he married a girl who is not Muslim and uh, they didn't approve this of course. And uh, they they almost like met her uh, very late in their relationship, and and when he got married, they they told him they're sad that he's going to to hell, uh, but you know he's their son, and they're gonna you know continue being in 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 some relations, and that continued up to a certain point when uh, he was very disappointed by by his father who was um, very ill, almost dying, and he said he doesn't want to see him, he doesn't want him to be informed. About, and this was a, 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 a point...
0: Uh, I'm sorry, I just want to make sure we don't... If you can get to the question, just because this is a lot of information yeah, that the I'm other just, person may, or may not making, feel comfortable uh, with. Uh, uh,
2: Obviously, there uh, there are their, their uh, connections, because after that, he said, okay, no communication, he stopped communicating with them. So, now, he's not... Um, He's certain of that as being a good decision, but he's fighting with the fact that they are his parents. And, and this is something I see with a lot of people here. Um, it's difficult for them to stay, um, like, how, how can I, as a friend, deny him um, that he believes his parents love him? And he keeps repeating this. I know they love me, but uh, I can't, you know, I can't go back and and be okay with them and stuff like that.
0: So- well, look, I mean, the first thing I would do is say that if you're going to use a word like love, then you should know what it means, right? So, what does love mean? That would be the question I would ask if my, you know, say my parents love me or my wife loves me. Well, what does the word love mean? I think that's I think that's a very important question because we want to make sure that we don't use words in a sentimental way without a clear knowledge of their contents. I mean, I have a definition of love, of course, that it's our involuntary response to virtue if we're virtuous, that that we we feel admiration and love and affection for displays of virtue if we're good people ourselves. uh, We will feel, if we're evil people, we will feel hatred and rage towards virtue. And if we are good people, we will feel anger towards evil. And if we're evil people, we will probably feel some sort of sick, positive attachment to other evil people, uh, but, um, yeah, so, you know, using you use this word, well, what does it mean? Uh, my argument has always been that there are no human beings in the world whose standards of behavior are higher than parents. There is no set or group of human beings in the world whose standards of behavior are higher than parents for two reasons. One, the power disparity between parents and children is so great that... Virtue is the most necessary, right? So a man beats his wife, she can leave him, right? A a father beats his son, he can't leave, right? And the father has much more power. The, the, The child has no economic resources, has no alternatives, has no maturity, has no options. So for that reason, the standards of behavior for parents are higher than anybody else. That's the first reason. The second reason is that for the child, the relationship with the parent is not chosen. Right, the parent chooses to have the child. The child does not choose to have the parents. Now, the parent obviously doesn't choose the child as an individual, but the parent has so much influence over that child that, in a sense, they do choose the children of their person. They, they do, they do choose the personalities of their children through their actions as parents. And so, for the for the very power disparity and for the fact that it is an unchosen relationship on the part of the child, the standards of virtue for parents are the highest conceivable standards and there is no other group in the world that I can think of whose standards of behavior are higher than that of parents. I mean, you could say, well, what about the cops? Well, you can leave town or you can leave the country. You still have options as a citizen that you simply don't have as a child. So, so yeah, I would ask him, what does it mean um, to, be, to, to, to be loved by your parents? I think that's a very good question and I think it's something we should ask as a whole about love. And, uh, you know, you, if you agree with the argument, I think it's a pretty ironclad one, but, you know, maybe there's something I'm missing, that, you know, standards of virtue for parents are the highest and say, well, would you accept this behavior from a stranger? Would you be friends with a stranger who acted in this way? Would you accept this behavior uh, from somebody on a first date? Or a fifth date, would you accept this behavior from an acquaintance? An acquaintance came up and said, this is my belief, this is what I'm going to do. Now, if you wouldn't accept this kind of behavior from an acquaintance, from a date, from a stranger, from someone at a party, then, but you will accept it from your parents, then what you're saying is that the standards of behavior I have for virtual strangers is much, much higher than the standards of behavior that I require from my parents. And I think that's a hard position to defend. I'm not saying what, what conclusion comes out of that is up to each individual, but philosophically speaking, the people who've had the most power over us and who we did not choose to have in our lives should should be those exercising the greatest virtue, the greatest self-control, and the most positivity in our lives. That's my argument. that's the way it's always been, and I think, until I hear better, the way it always will be.
2: Thanks. Thanks for that. And, and I have to say that, that we really came to the exact same points. Like, we came... I, I I was going around and around and, and I was talking about was he betrayed in the same way from a friend and blah, blah, blah. And, and then you know when he realized this, I, I saw that it was very difficult for him now to to realize that he's having a different standards because he thinks the same way as, as we do, you know that the parents would have if if not uh, a, a higher, sure, no different standards than, than, than we have towards other people. But I think, you know, the point at which now he has to admit to himself that they were bad and they are bad, <laughs> I guess it's, I, I think it's very difficult to, to accept.
0: Oh, look, and there's and no question. Yeah, there's no question. It's an enormously difficult thing to process. Uh, if, if parents or anyone in your life has significantly short fallen short of moral ideals, particularly if the people in your lives who've fallen short of their moral ideals claim to be moral ideals and uh, have always used moral ideals on others. It's really, really tough. So yeah, I, I completely sympathize with that. And the important thing uh, is to talk, to sit down and, and talk with people in your life that you have these kinds of differences with and say, look, I have these concerns. I have this perspective. This is where I'm coming from. Let's see if we can find some sort of common ground, uh, some sort of acceptance of uh, of, of common ground in the field of ethics, uh, in order to move forward, to keep having those conversations until you can either establish common ground, or uh, if it's not possible, make whatever decision you want from there.
1: Cool, cool. Okay,
2: thank you very much, and uh, I want to thank you for for keeping up the the Freedom and Radio as a hub for all all the knowledge that we we need.
0: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that, and uh, uh, do say hi to your friend for me, and, and please, please provide him uh, my sympathies and my encouragement to stay in the conversation uh, until he gets some sort of resolution one way or the other.
2: Thank you very much. Thanks.
0: You're very welcome. And, yeah, look, the other thing, since this discussion is still going on in the chat room, you know, as far as Adam's thing go, look, I mean, let's keep our perspective, right? Um, This was a clear-cut example of the initiation of force. Dancing is not the initiation of force. There was even headphones on, so it wasn't intruding into other people. The music, it wasn't uh, aggressive body slam dancing. There was no mosh pit. It was a little bit of swaying to the music. And so clearly it's the initiation of force. Let's not worry about whether Adam did this or Adam did that. And let's just focus on the big picture rather than quibbling at uh, whatever may have been going on in other people's heads. Because we can't really know that for sure. Um, and I certainly don't believe that he was acting with any negative intent, but we, we can very clearly see the initiation of the use of force uh, from people in overtight costumes. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think let's just focus on that and not worry about, you know, psychologizing the ifs, ands, and buts of whatever people's motives may have been. Uh, Steph, where do we, the individual people, start I'm trying to create this stateless society outside the reach out to and explain to family and friends the wrongs of the state using morals. What else can we really do? <laughs> you see, you're saying that like that's not the big thing, right? Okay, so I've got this little thing where I'm talking about ethics, virtue, and truth with people around me. But what's the really big thing? It's like, dude, that is the really big thing. That is the really big thing. And um, so I don't uh, I don't really have any other answers for you. There is no magic switch. We have conversations about truth and virtue and goodness and uh, we ask questions and we are curious about other people's motives and we raise our children with peace and positivity um, that's really all that we can do that's really all we can do and I think if you think that's not so much it means all that tells me is that you haven't really done it yet because if you think that there's more to be done than that then you have even not even scratched the surface of that so that would be my suggestion yes yeah, so you, you came back somebody's coming back with the surgeon problem Uh, He says, I'm the one annoying you with the surgeon problem because your answer totally contradicts all your ideas. Allowing a criminal surgeon unpunished is utilitarianism which you oppose. I was interested in how DROs will minimize the damage, how it will make sure the surgeon keeps operating and also compensate his victims. I'm sorry, I don't remember enough to be able to comment on that. Well, look, and also, I mean, with with Adam's um, arrest, this, of course, is the idea that and the state owns the monument, and the state must grant you a license. I mean, look, there's is, this is a big problem with, with public-private uh, ownership, right? I mean, there is no such thing as public ownership, right? So the government takes your money by force or by debt or by printing money. So force or fraud, the government takes your money. And then the government says you need a permit to stand on the piece of ground that was bought with the money taken from you by force. You understand, right? I mean, this is like... <laughs> This is like the mafia stealing your front lawn and then charging you money and having you beg for permission and kiss the ring in order to stand on your front lawn. I mean, it's insane. And so, uh, of course, if this was – if the Washington Monument – sorry, if the, if the Jefferson Monument was private, as it should be, was owned, then yeah, there could be a sign that said, listen, no dancing. You agree to no dancing if you come into this. That's no, no longer a law. That's just a contract. And then, yeah, they'd have the right to remove you if you came in and danced. In the same way that, you know, if you're at the funeral for your mom and someone comes in and starts doing the Harlem shuffle along the front, you probably want them removed because you're kind of trying to grieve your mom or whatever, right? So, yeah, I mean, uh, this is just another example of what happens when you have this weird, bizarre, mutated entity called public quote ownership government steals from you to buy stuff or make stuff, and then you have to have a permit to stand there. Um, It's mental. It's completely mental. It's hard for us to see how mental it is now, but it'll be pretty clear in the future. Steph, what's the spark plug gap on a 1979 Chevrolet 305 engine? 12.2 parsecs. Uh, That would be my... uh, We're not even going to pretend that's even a guess. So that would be my... uh, (laughs) 0.35 millimeters. Fantastic.
1: Good. Well, glad to have helped. This is one of the largest number of pe- people we've had in the chat, and oh, that's right. <laughs> so, a so lot of shyness just, getting on the call.
0: today <laughs> that's all right. The um, so if somebody has written a surgeon saves, let's say, ten patients a day and kills, let's say, three people a day, not by accident. What to do? The surgeon can say, "If you try to ostracize me, I will stop operating." Um. But the reality is that. This is not a situation that would ever exist in the real world. So let's say that some surgeon has been saving 10 patients a day and killing three people a day, and he gets caught. Well, his career is over. His career is completely and totally over, and he will never really operate on anyone else again. The simple reason being that if you go, uh, since, of course, the, um, the whoever is representing the hospital or whatever would have to tell the truth, right so even let's say that there was no punishment in a free society okay I doubt that but let's say right so they're going to sit down with you they're going to say listen uh, Bob you know he's a pretty good surgeon but unfortunately he has a sadistic personality that wields his scalpel three times out of every ten so like almost thirty percent of the time sorry almost a third of the time he's going to kill you and not save you no it's not three out of ten it's three out of thirteen so a little bit less 25 percent or so so, you know, you got a one in four chance that he's just going to stab you in the throat rather than save you. Well, no one's going to go to that guy, right? No no one's going to want that guy to operate. Uh, so, I mean, his career is over because there's going to be other surgeons out there with similar skills or whatever, and they're not going to be stabbing you in the throat one time out of four. So, this guy's career is over. He's not going to get to operate anyway. So, um, like no sane human being is ever going to want to go to a surgeon that one out of four times, going to stab him in the neck. So, because uh, there's not going to be any other surgeon who's going to be so bad that they don't have a 25% greater success rate. So no, then no, nobody's going to want to go to that guy anyway. And of course, anybody who, um, let's say that you only have civil penalties, right? So uh, and not legal penalties like like prison. Well, so he stabs some guy. Well, the family just sues the living crap out of him, and uh, that's that's his life. We're going to just take all his money. So. Uh, Somebody's asked, uh, Steph, I want to have kids in a few years, but I am worried that I was abused too strongly to be able to parent as well as I wish. Well, my first thought is, I'm so sorry, I'm so, so, so sorry to to hear about your abuse. Uh, Absolutely wretched. I don't even know what the content of it is, but obviously if you're concerned about it enough, which I think is very honorable and very good and very wise and very beautiful thing to do, if you're concerned about it to the point where you think it's going to interfere with your future parenting, then I'm gonna guess it was pretty damn bad. And I'm really, really, really sorry that you had to go through that for so many years in such a helpless, independent situation. So, you know, massive kudos, a big virtual hug to you. And I'm so, I'm so sorry. I had, uh, as everyone knows, I had a, a wretched, a pretty wretched childhood. There was, I think, just about no form of abuse that you could get that I didn't experience to one degree or another. And I'm happy and pleased with with my parenting. I don't really believe that it could be improved in any significant way. Yeah, maybe I'll find out that's not the case in the future. But I'm very pleased and content with my own parenting. I'm overjoyed at the fact that my daughter rushes into my arms, comes to wake me up in the morning. You know, climbs under the covers for story time. Uh, and uh, I love the fact that um, yeah, we had some uh, some friends coming through town today. Uh, they stayed. Uh, they came over yesterday and we we took them out for brunch this morning uh and um so uh that 's uh <laughs> that 's very exciting it was great to see them and i really uh, i mean i love I love so much about her i 'm trying not to make this about me and my parenting, but I sort of want to point out that it is it is possible to to turn things around we uh this is a um uh, a man and a woman. They recently got engaged, and uh, we're perfectly thrilled. And we would they want to have kids, so we were talking about our experience of of parenting and and what we've learned, and and so on. And uh, Izzy was a little bit concerned when she came down because the guy has a big beard, and <laughs> so she was like, "Hey, <laughs> what's with the Cro-Manion dude there?" And uh, he was in a bear skin chewing on a big bone. So it was very confusing for her. But you know, we, we then went for a walk to the park, and uh, she she really warmed up to them, and she really liked the woman, and she she wanted to play with the woman, and uh, then she asked the woman to carry her home, which was really cute, and she was very affectionate. And so, and then this morning we went out for brunch, and um, Izzy was very happy. She was, Christina and I were sitting on either side of Izzy, and she would it was very really cute. She'd have a bite of whatever we were feeding her, and then she would lean over and give a kiss to Christina's shoulder and then lean over and give a kiss to Dad's shoulder. There's three things she does when she's feeling affectionate. It's a mykia, which is Greek for a kiss, a big hug, and a pat-pat. So you get a nice sort of soft palm, little pudgy hump, pat on the head. And uh, it was just great. I mean, you take a bite, two kisses, maybe the occasional pat-pat, and once in a while, a big hug. And that's just great. I love her spontaneous expressions of affection and joy and love and all of those kinds of beautiful things. So, I, You know, I, I'm so sorry for your history. I completely and totally applaud your concern for your kids in the future. That is so fundamental to making a better world for you and for the world as a whole that I, I can't even express it, or I guess it's 2,000 podcasts or so of expressing it. So, you know, massive kudos to you, massive support behind what it is that you're doing. My answer is... Uh, you know, self-knowledge, self-knowledge, self-knowledge is what undoes history. So watch fdrurl.com forward slash B-I-B, the Bomb in the Brain series to get some understanding of uh, the effects of, of child abuse on the brain and the personality so you know what you're starting with. You know, get a great therapist, uh, invest time in the therapy, read parenting books, grieve your own childhood, uh, commit to difference, uh, uh, to commit to a future difference and uh, work to get virtue into your relationships if they're not already there so um, but, but I think the most, the most important thing is to get a really good therapist and to go through and grieve everything that's, uh, that's happened that was dysfunctional the destructive in the past and that will free and open your heart up to the future and you will feel the absolutely heavenly and delicious uh, love uh, of a child and towards a child and that really is about the most beautiful thing in the world and it's worth every rock that bites into your knees as you climb the mountain of self-regard. So that's my very, very strong suggestion to you, and I hope that that helps. Now, I'm sorry for the person who was waiting on the phone patiently. I am all ears.
3: <laughs> all right, cool. Um, yeah, I just uh, had a couple of questions, and i got to say that, uh, that I tried before. Uh, that the church has gone off one was absolutely awesome. It was uh, it was very deep and, and mean made me think about my, uh, my own, uh, growing up and, and thinking about, the parenting and all that jazz. But, um, but what I really wanted to, uh, ask was, uh, um, sorry to derail the conversation a little bit, but, uh, what I was really kind of curious about is, like, you've been on the Alex Jones show before. You talked to Alex Jones. I'm kind of curious as to what your feelings are about, like, he kind of, like, holds the mentality of, uh, the, the New World Order, and you think that there is a, President of the idea of uh, the attack on Christ, uh, on Christianity. Um, do you think? That well, I'm no way, expert on the New World uh, Order.
0: Uh, uh, with, uh, uh, I've certainly your, heard about it. You can't really be in libertarian circles and not hear about uh, New World Order and and chemtrails and other things and and the 9/11 uh, stuff. Uh, so I don't know. That to me is not is not a matter for philosophy. Whether there is or is not a New World Order, that's a matter for research and empiricism. And so, uh, like, it's not a matter of philosophy whether 9/11 was an inside job or not. That's a matter for uh, for research and engineers and architects and mathematicians and physicists and all that kind of stuff. It's not, you know, it's not a matter for philosophy. And uh, I do have no doubt that there has been an attack on Christianity. Uh, No question, there has been an attack on on Christianity. Uh, I think. I mean, there are. I mean, communism is was a huge attack upon organized religion. Uh, no question. Um, Nazism was, to a smaller degree, I mean, they, they wanted to set up their own Nazi church, right. but of course, the Vatican was very pleased to uh, achieve concordance and sign treaties with with Hitler. Uh, so uh, he was much more uh, gentle with it. But uh, socialism uh, is, um, right. uh, to the degree that with which it's derived from communism, and I think that there's a flavour of communism in all socialism, is extremely hostile towards religion communism extremely hostile towards religion socialism to some degree or not and uh, postmodernism uh, of course uh, views all perspectives as equal to put a very broad to paint with a very broad brush and of course that is uh, very anti-christian uh, and uh, or anti-faith And uh, Nietzsche, of course, was very anti-religious. The existentialists were very anti-religious. Freud and Jung were very skeptical of religion and viewed religion as uh, psychological phenomena rather than true things in the real world. So, yeah, I mean, there is no question in my mind that there is a strong opposition in a great many social circles towards religion. Uh, My argument would... Sorry, but my argument would be... And so, no, I, I'm sorry, I'm talking I for a long time, I'll, to, I'll be very I'll, brief, I'll, but I'll my I'll, argument I'll would I'll be that uh, uh, those who want to expand the power of the state are going to run into religion, because the religion has been largely separated from the state. And so, to me, I view sort of communism and religion as two gangs vying for control over people. And socialism tries to get control over children through schools, government schools, and religion tries to get control of, of over children through both schools and church. And to me, they're just competing irrationalities vying for control over the human spirit. And so, yeah, I mean, obviously, if if religion wants to grow to some degree, the secular state has to shrink. And if the secular state wants to grow to some degree, religion has to shrink. So there's that natural opposition But it's not to me like then you get any greater freedom either way or the other. There's like 100% control, and whether it's 20% religion and 80% secular state or vice versa is less important to me than we have to approach both the question of the state and of religion from first principles, which doesn't do kindness to either.
3: Okay, so uh, maybe I'm a little bit confused about this. Uh, So like you're saying that uh, that religion in itself is not exactly an issue in the idea of statism or is like stateism because you said they they butt heads on on a regular basis so is like i, I don't know, i'm i'm sorry i was just kind of yeah confused. look i
0: i was more talking uh, about the new world order and think? attacks upon christianity the new world order i would imagine is is to, is, is much more secular uh, and therefore it's going to have attacks upon religion i mean that to me would be would be inevitable as far as the relationship yeah, now as far as the relationship between the state okay, and religion okay. goes, yeah, no, well, no, there okay. was a no, huge no, change, right? right? I mean, there was a huge change. Religion and the state used to serve each other throughout the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages, right? So you had the priests uh, who, who praised the aristocracy as appointed by God, hmm. and you had the aristocracy who, in return, gave the priests a monopoly of religion, and that sustained itself for many, many centuries until the Reformation, until the splintering and the disintegration of Christendom into religious warfare. And then there was a separation of church and state, because it can really only work, and I use the word work very loosely here, when there's a monopoly of both. And when you have a monopoly of the state, which is always the case, and you have competing religions all attempting to gain control of the state, you end up with you know, hundreds of years of civil wars, which were just decimated the British population and the European population to about the same degree as the Black Death. So it was, you know, a complete catastrophe. And from that, you say, you get people saying, well, look, I'm sick and tired of people killing each other in the name of God. And so we're going to separate church and state. It's going to become a matter of private conscience. And that splintered things. And that left a whole lot of people with a whole lot less to do. Because religious uh, people, priests, no longer had the same power that they used to have, because they didn't have a monopoly anymore. So what did they do? Well, they invented communism and socialism and took their verbal skills over there and started taking over the secular state, which was now the only thing left that had a monopoly. If you want to be a monopolist, there's no point being a priest anymore. You've got to be in government. And so the verbal abusers called priests switched over to government and began to use all of that kind of stuff. So uh, yeah, I think there's been a big change now. But once the monopoly of religion in the West, which of course has still at least to some degree to occur... Uh, in uh, the Islamic countries, but once the monopoly of religion was destroyed or shattered in the West, then uh, everybody who wanted a monopoly left religion and came to um, to government and that created an actual opposition. Yeah,
3: Came to government, came to statism. Okay, alright. Um, uh, just one other quick question uh, and then I'll let you uh, do your thing. Um, just okay so you're saying that like what we're what the the west is doing right now is that they're abandoning the idea of religion which which in turn would actually kind of uh um, uh justify uh, what Alex Jones and the militia people say all the time is because like we're moving ourselves out of a uh, out of a christian state and moving ourselves into i I guess what you're saying is statism. so we're we're removing we're christianity and we're having our new gods and our you know our our new masters is to be the state. So, um, do you? I mean, like, do you, do you ever see that, like, that, that people will stop moving towards uh, masters, gods, and masters? I, is that, does that seem even possible for the human race? Because it seems like if we're taking away from it in the Western Hemisphere, then we're, and we're replacing it with just government. Do you, do you think that we could actually move on with that? Or no, we
0: won't constantly go back and, and forth between states uh, and, religion, and, forth between and religion, in my opinion. The natural nature of human beings is free and peaceful.
3: Sure, oh, sure. I'm sorry. Can I, I just want to cut you off. No, and, I'm and just fantastic. Going to and uh, and then I'm going to these the are stream, great, great
0: questions. Uh, just, just I love like you guys enough. all, all right. so right. much. Thank you. Thanks a lot, man. Um, yeah, the, the natural state of humanity is free and peaceful. There's no question of that, that's absolutely, I mean that's axiomatic The natural state of humanity is free and peaceful and we know that because it takes a huge amount of propaganda for people to not be free and peaceful. It takes a huge amount of propaganda for people to not be free and peaceful. The natural state of humanity is to not believe in gods. Because it takes huge amounts of propaganda to get people to believe in gods. The natural state of humanity is to not be ruled. Because it takes a huge amount of propaganda for people to be comfortable or to accept being ruled. The natural state of humanity is non-violent because it takes a huge amount of aggression, violence, propaganda, dysfunctional destructiveness to turn a human being into somebody who will use violence. So, yeah, the natural state of humanity, you know, think of the ocean, right? The natural state of the ocean is for the water to seek its greatest depth, which is why you get a pretty calm surface for the most part. That's a natural state of water. Now, every now and then, there's a water spout, you know, some cyclone or something that sucks all the water up into some big spout. And you go, holy crap, that's really freaky water. Well, that's the amount of energy it takes to turn human beings away from peace and science and skepticism and voluntarism and trade. We know that human beings are most comfortable with trade because kids trade all the time. And they don't attempt to set up monopolies and cartels and unions. And this all takes the government. So yeah, free market, private property, peace, voluntarism, and trade. These are this is the natural state. And any, anybody who spent any time around untraumatized children knows for sure, without a doubt, that this is the natural state of humanity. And everybody who wants to rule human beings knows for sure that that is the natural state of humanity. Which is why they have to grab holds. They have to grab hold of the brains of children and mold them. Like an evil clay potter master on a spinning wheel with Demi Moore and Unchained Melody, well, Chained Melody, I guess, playing in the background. Human beings are naturally free, peaceful, and respect private property, at least their own, and uh, it takes it takes a huge amount of labor. You know, the modern human mind, as adults, has about as much relationship to the natural human mind as a Chinese woman – who had her foot bound and toes slowly mashed into her heel over the course of many years that that has to a natural person's foot, right? So yeah. if you're around see all these women who've got these little hooves and they're hobbling around and they can't walk, you say, wow, man, you know, this the natural state of people's feet is really screwed up. No, no, it's not. It's just that's how it's been painfully, brutally molded. So if you want to see human nature, just don't aggress against kids, I don't aggress against kids and I can I can tell you I mean this is this is my parenting this is my wife's parenting we do not aggress against her child we do not raise our voices we do not hit we do not um, threaten we do not aggress and she's a great affectionate fun wild beautiful spirit and she negotiates and she, you can reason with her and you can Uh, she can defer gratification, and, I mean, she's just, she's perfect. And, of course, why wouldn't she be? Her body is perfect, uh, and her mind is perfect as well, because it is not being aggressively interfered with in its natural development. And, uh, sorry, just to to jump back to Adam for a sec, because uh, when I think of the word sex, of course, I naturally picture Adam Kokesh. But... Whatever competes for allegiance with the dominant power is always attacked by the dominant power, right? Which is why religion is so hostile to sexuality because sexuality is not religious, right? Sexuality is an implicit repudiation to religion because sexuality is the creation of life through somewhat meatier methods than God's magic hand and clay and breath and all that kind of stuff. It's a bit more earthy than that. And sexual passion, sexual desire, sexual love is uh, a form of allegiance that doesn't have anything to do with the dominant power or hierarchy that is and of course dancing is a, um, a form of ritualized sexual foreplay and uh, so yeah it's not to me too shocking that the hierarchies come <laughs> get down on the dancing because if you don't dance you're a no friend of mine. <laughs> uh, somebody's asked how is corruption not a factor in a stateless society? what about special interests? Wouldn't there be, for example, the Ku Klux Klan DRO, also totally unrelated, how would anarchy bypass business compete with government subsidies or with protectionism? Well, as to your second point, it wouldn't. It wouldn't and it shouldn't. Uh, this is, again, one of these things that economists are pretty comfortable with, that if somebody else is – some other country is – is banning the sale of your products in that country to retaliate is ridiculous, right? So an example that's been around for many years is let's say that Japan comes up with a cure for heart disease and America comes up with a cure for cancer. And then Japan says to America, well, you can't sell your cancer cure here. Does that mean that Americans shouldn't have access To the heart disease cure that that the Japanese have created, of course not. It would be insane to ban that. It's like, hey, you don't want the cure for cancer? No problem. I'm sorry about that, and I'm sorry for all the people who have cancer in Japan. But please tell us your cure for heart disease, right? I mean, so that's just an example that that I think clarifies things very quickly. To respond to protectionism with protectionism is just stupid. I mean, it's not stupid for the people who are. Benefiting from prote- from the retaliatory protectionism, and it's a form of quote negotiation, the best that states can probably do. But it doesn't make any sense to do it from a rational standpoint. As far as corruption goes, well, yeah, there'll be corruption in a, yeah, there'll be corruption in a free society for sure. But um, corruption is economically inefficient, right? So corruption breeds where economic inefficiencies are not subject to the discipline of the market. So things like licenses and all that, I mean, there's nobody competing to give you a license. Uh, and so there's no incentive to keep the cost low. So where any, wherever anything is shielded from the efficiency requirements of the free market, then there will inevitably be corruption in an ever-increasing way. And so the answer is to move as many things as possible and hopefully everything into the free market because corruption is is an overhead. Corruption is something which gains a benefit for specific individuals by spreading costs to larger individuals, right? So let's say that you're a computer manufacturer of of motherboards, and you bribe some company to start using your motherboards, right? Well, if that is the most economically efficient decision, then you don't need to bribe because the person is going to buy your stuff anyway. And so by bribing, you have created a situation where you're benefiting and the person you're bribing is benefiting at the expense of the general consumer. But in a free society, whatever you do, that is at the expense of the general consumer, is not sustainable in the long run because some other company that doesn't accept bribes and uses the highest or best quality components is going to be able to offer a better product to the customer or, or a cheaper product or a higher quality product, well, however you want to phrase it, that they're economically as efficient as possible. And so the way that bribery is opposed in a free society is through competition. And the companies that are corrupt will be less economically efficient, will provide worse solutions to their customers, and therefore they will either go out of business or they will no longer accept or deal with the corruption. And uh, don't forget, uh, you know, because we are close to the end of the month, if you don't mind the pitch, um, if you could go to freedomainradio.com forward slash donate, uh, I would really, really appreciate it. It is uh, eh, expensive uh, to to run all of this stuff. Our, our server bandwidths are, are pretty monstrous. Um, certainly, my media appearances have uh, increased traffic to the site. And um, for that, I thank everybody who supported in whatever capacity they have in the past. Uh, we are, of course, just about to go live with the new website. And uh, that's taken some, some money to, to get up and running. And so I would really appreciate it. If you could, if you could, and if you, you know, obviously don't bite into any of your food money, but if you could uh, either sign up for a cheap subscription, 10 bucks or 20 or 50 a month or throw some money my way, I would really, really appreciate it. Uh, That's uh, enormously, enormously helpful. And of course, it is all voluntary. So that's the way it is. What are your thoughts about all the Doomsday Talk 2012 Rapture Y2K? How do the controllers use this? And how can we see? Well, um, I, I believe, I do believe, I believe that when people are talking about the world 99 times out of 100, they don't have enough self-knowledge to know that they're talking about themselves. So when people talk about the doomsday talk, when they're talking about the world coming to an end, what they mean is that in, at some, in some way in their own life, they're on an unsustainable course, a course which cannot, they cannot survive. And uh, I don't mean physically, they're like going to die, but oh, maybe that could be the case. But they're on some course that is unsustainable. So they're, they're in some relationship that they know is going to end and it's you know, going to be a disaster. Or they're getting into debt to the point where they can't get out of debt. Or they're in some field which is collapsing or they're underwater in their house and they don't know how to get out. Or, 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 or. Right? And so when people start talking about the end of the world, what they basically mean is that their own Lives are unsustainable in some way, and they're projecting that on the world so that they don't have to deal with their own issues, right? I mean, <laughs> it's sort of like, um, uh, and I just did a podcast on this that I haven't released, but uh, like the birthers, right? I mean, the birthers is like, you know, what does that translate to when they say that Barack Obama isn't born in the United States, so he's not a legitimate president? I guarantee you, I virtually guarantee you that most of them are people with stepdads saying, You're not my real dad. I don't have to listen to you. Yeah, it's nearly 500 people on the forum. <laughs> Woohoo. Yeah, Jay, James, if you could throw up the link to donate that would be that would be fantastic. Yeah, you know, it's 20 bucks a month, like that's 75 cents a day or 80 cents a day that would be that'd be fantastic. Uh, if you could. It, it I mean it really really helps uh, and it's uh um I've had to buy and I'm buying more equipment now to for these interviews. Um, I had to buy another webcam because the high def webcams are really bad in Skype because Skype switches to high def, which messes up the video halfway through and I had to buy another microphone because I need something more out of uh, eyesight. I had to buy more lights to light things better if I do evening interviews. So yeah, it's a lot of uh, a lot of stuff to uh, to to pay for. So if you could help, that would be fantastic. Steph, I heard your voice in the last two months more than anyone else's. How is this affecting my brain? Well, I'm absolutely going to hope that you heard them in podcasts and not without any earphones <laughs> in your ears whatsoever. Because if you're hearing my voice without any earphones, uh, you might want to get checked out for a brain virus that's kind of bald. So so that would be my, uh, my suggestion. Yeah, how's your hairline? <laughs> that's right.
4: Hello. Uh, S- S- Steph? I also have a... Yes, uh, I have a question since you talk about the cameras. Do you have plans to uh, We've done uh, start that before, but I'm not such a huge a fan of it Sunday because I don't show? want to
0: stand in front of a camera for two hours. It's not very comfortable. I like to pace around and this and that, so I don't know that there's a really good way to do uh, a Sunday show. And, I mean, I did publish some that were, you know, me, but people don't want to just sit and watch me talking for a couple of hours, so... Uh, so maybe we will, but I don't think there's anything particularly imminent about that. But what are your thoughts on it?
4: Well, uh, I'm curious. I think it would be interesting uh, to see. Uh, yeah, I think it's. Uh, I th- yeah, I, think and it I mean, could be gosh, two hours of picking my to be nose technically once. I do viable also, don't
0: know. Of course, I mean, as far as what's within the realm of possibility goes, that seems kind of like a challenge. So.
4: Yeah, I was wondering also, I, maybe you don't want to talk about that in, the, in Sunday show, but like I want to buy a decent camera and I really studied your, uh, uh, your results and I was just planning to buy such a high definition camera for uh, Skype and also to, to uh, record my videos. Uh, like yeah, don't. Yeah, you, if you're gonna you say, if you're gonna record videos on Skype, ID don't use a high camera? def camera because what Skype, kind of camera Skype will start you off. Advice? Sorry,
0: this is all boring for everyone who doesn't. But it's interesting for me. The Skype starts off at six forty by four eighty. But if you have a high def camera, a fast enough computer, and enough bandwidth, it will switch to high definition, and that messes up your video recording because what you end up is with a frozen VGA top and bottom bars with the middle part in high def. And so you have to kind of zoom and tweak and do all this kind of crap. So if you're going to record video on Skype, you need to get, I would suggest, the highest quality uh, VGA camera that you can. And after some research, I found it was about 100 bucks: HP Premium autofocus webcam, uh, although the autofocus sucks because it keeps zooming in and out. But you can sort of set it by hand to something that makes sense. And that's what I've used on Max Kaiser in the most recent um, Adam show. And it doesn't switch to high def, and uh, the colors are fairly good, and so on. So that's my... Uh, Uh, That's my suggestion.
4: Great. Uh, Could you. uh, Yeah, it's the 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 HP Premium uh, autofocus webcam. uh, Uh, I think it does do
0: high def, but Skype doesn't know that, so it doesn't switch to it. So uh, that would be my suggestion. You're very welcome. Uh, Best of luck. Thanks, Steph. And thank you. Somebody just signed up for a $10 subscription. Woo!
4: food, everything. Lovely.
1: I was just thinking about, um, what you were saying about religion and sexuality, uh, just sort of mapping it to my own experience. And, um, what I've sort of come up with is that, you know, religion is less, at least in my history is less about, you know, because I wasn't raised from a birth with it, it's more about my father being kind of nuts around it. And, I mean, my father also was really nuts about sexuality, and that didn't really have anything to do with religion per se. And so my experience of those two things is more about control and forcing through various means, like, if you don't believe, you'll get kicked out of the house. Like, that was the implicit message I got from my father's religiosity. So, um... I, I think that I think that meshes with what you were saying about religion, although for me it's just more about direct control over every minute detail of your life. So you mean uh, that it's just I a way of controlling what people right? think,
0: and given that sexuality is such a strong part of what people think, particularly as teenagers, and I'm still waiting for that teenage phase to end, but uh, it's just a way of controlling people, is that right?
1: <laughs> it's just... At least for me, and my experience, and this doesn't mean it's like the general rule or anything like that. But yeah, all about coming down to controlling—not just for, not necessarily for the sake of controlling, because there's a have a lot of anxiety goes behind that too. But I mean, yeah, just controlling. Yeah, well, there's on. that old statement
0: that says you know, a has divided against itself. self are another stand. person, and this is very true. If you can get people to wage war against their deepest instincts, then you defeat their capacity to look critically at a hierarchy, right? So if you can get someone to turn against his sexuality, then he's going to be spending forever fussing about whether he wants to masturbate or whether he pictured somebody naked and whether that's infidelity and you know his sexual impulses are all bad and wrong. And, and he ends up fussing and going in tiny little circles. He can't ever look up at the powers that be in question, their legitimacy. So, uh, you know, a healthy relationship with sexuality is in some ways, I think, pretty essential to a productive relationship with authority. In other words, a skeptical and critical relationship with authority. Because if you're bullying and bossing yourself for something that you can't solve, right? Like, you may bully and boss yourself to some degree about, I don't know, quitting smoking, but you can quit smoking. If you can't stop thinking about sex, and you can't stop having sexual impulses or being turned on by stuff. Uh, And so, what people want you to do is to have a dysfunctional relationship with your basic instincts. And those instincts are things like sex and and eating uh, and, and things like that. And um, so they want you to wage war against yourself and count calories rather than count the crimes of the powers that be. Uh, and that is essentially takes you out of the ring of any productive social change.
1: Yeah, if you recall our first conversation... Um, I had a very, the first place I went to when, when it came to my my childhood was not the crimes that I've committed, but, uh, some, I mean, almost obscure sort of thing about vegetarianism, which had very tangentially related. Yeah. Very tangentially related to, uh, you know, it's, it's not unrelated. It's part of the picture, but it's not the big crime. It's not the, you know, like I said, fucked up about sexuality and religion and food. I mean, that's part of it, but it's there's so much more that the actual. You know, I don't have to go through the yeah, list. That's a very, that, yeah, very good clarification. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now that makes sense. It makes sense.
0: Uh, so I interpreted doomsday to death of something. How would you interpret uh, anarchism? <laughs> that's a good question. I am happy to answer that, but I don't want to uh, eclipse whatever else people might be talking about. If we had any other questions or comments in the chat room or live, I'm happy to entertain them as best I can. Oh, and listen, if you do enjoy my appearances on these television shows, um, and if you wouldn't mind, you know, maybe you don't have any money to donate, that's perfectly fine. Or maybe you just don't want to, which is also perfectly fine. But uh, if you wouldn't mind dropping a line to Max at MaxKeiser.com or to Adam and saying, dude... You know that was great. Uh, thanks for having him on or maybe whoever you like Alex Jones whoever you like. That's uh, that's helpful. Uh, I think that's useful for people to get that kind of feedback and uh, it certainly is helpful. And raises the odds of me going back so. Sure.
4: Steph, um, can I uh, ask another question about your technology? Yeah, I think your voice quality is excellent in the podcasts. Um, but I'm wondering uh, are you like for the Max Kaiser show? Do no, you just uh, record I, I the audio as much with as I can to, use. to uh, I have about?
0: a very good microphone that I picked up that was pretty expensive, about 200 bucks.
1: I think it was an Audio Technica. Yeah.